0: climate agreement is history. Now it's time for manufacturers to act. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. The COP21 meeting in Paris late last year yielded a binding agreement among 195 countries on the need to enact policies to fight global climate change. Each signatory promised to commit to lowering greenhouse gas emissions. But that won't happen without the cooperation of the private sector. Manufacturers are going to have to step up and become more sustainable. Yet according to a recent study by West Monroe Partners, 49% of North American supply chain executives don't view sustainability as a strategic priority and 64% claim to have no plans to adopt sustainability initiatives in the coming years. So what's going on here? Today we'll speak with David South, Senior Principal with West Monroe, who will explain the findings of that study and lay out what manufacturers must do to cut their emissions. He's candid about the challenges faced by small and mid-sized companies who often lack the resources and the pressure from environmental groups to change. Let's find out what they can do to meet the three pillars of sustainability and how such action can benefit their bottom line. Here is my conversation with David South. David South, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Bill. Glad to be
0: here. Let's start by talking about this recent study by West Monroe Partners on sustainability with a couple of rather shocking conclusions as I see it. 49% of North American supply chain executives don't view sustainability as a strategic priority. 64% of supply chain executives claim to have no plans to undertake sustainability initiatives in the coming years. David, what's going on? Uh, was that a surprise when that was revealed to you in that study?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was a surprise. Not a complete surprise, but it was a surprise in the sense that Westmore works in the middle market of companies. And in that group of companies, they haven't forced by either their customers or the investors in them to be more proactive in this in this what's called sustainability space. Larger multinational companies have had that pressure, both from uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, their customers, as well as international regulations to be more proactive there. Large companies, as a result, have been proactive. Mid-tier smaller companies not as active.
0: Have they a little bit kind of flown under the radar because of their size? I mean, in other words, the NGOs don't want to spend that much time with them, and the brand is not that big so that they they see a big risk in, in harming that brand by not going along with this stuff?
1: That's somewhat uh, the case, I think. But the other case is, you know, NGOs only have so much capital, they're going to spend it on trying to have the biggest bang and get the biggest publicity for their actions. Uh, so they're going to go after the large companies that they believe either individually as an NGO or collectively multiple NGOs can have a much big bigger in- influence on those customers. And the hope was that by influencing large companies like a Walmart, uh, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Unilever, and others like that, that they could then affect the supply chain, those mid-tier and smaller companies that feed them. That hasn't happened entirely yet because of the drive to do it, the cost of doing of having some of those mid-tier companies actually comply. And so uh, we're just now starting to see some of that come about. And the agreement that was just undertaken in Paris, France, uh, the Conference of Parties 21, will motivate more mid-tier companies now to undertake that simply because the supply chain is going to be forcing them to take action.
0: Well, that, of course, is my question is to what degree do you think the Paris Climate Agreement or COP21 really will serve as an impetus for them and really uh, force them to no longer be so complacent? Do you think that message is going to filter down to the small and medium-sized business?
1: It will because you know a lot of companies were waiting for clarity of direction, a greater motion in this space, in the greenhouse gas space in particular. Uh, because as you know, sustainability, let me just deviate for one second, sustainability is, is three pillars. There's the environmental pillar. There's the social pillar and there's the governance pillar. And environment is only one of those, as I said, of those pillars. And within environment, greenhouse gases are only one dimension of the environmental spectrum of actions that are taken. So COP21 affects greenhouse gas emissions. And as such, it will now provide some clarity of direction that there is a consensus among many countries around the world. And those countries are not going to be putting implementing regulations or legislation in place that these companies will now have to ascribe to.
0: So the pressure, though, will probably still have to come from within the companies. I mean, this doesn't mean that NGOs are going to start turning their attention to the smaller companies. It just means that the executives of these smaller companies will sort of wake up based on the Paris Climate Agreement and take action just as a result of that?
1: They they will see the fact that there is this momentum. Some of those companies might become more proactive because they see it as a differentiator for them. If they know that all companies at some point in the next number of years are going to have to be compliant with some kind of regulation from their from their federal government or their state governments, they might want to be proactive if they can be, uh, to differentiate themselves now and perhaps capture some market share in the process of being proactive.
0: COP21, as you say, you, you mentioned those pillars, environmental, social, and governance. COP21 itself are you saying really only addresses the environmental side and even within the environmental side, only the the carbon emissions slice of that?
1: that that's correct. I mean, there are other regulations. For example, there's the Clean Power Plan here in the United States that, that the Obama administration has proposed. That affects carbon and, and other greenhouse gases emissions within the utility sector. And there has been some transportation rules I've already put to place, in place. But in addition... There are other regulations that affect sulfur dioxide emissions or nitrous and oxides emissions or ozone con- controls. All of those things collectively fall under this environmental, and I should, should not forget, waste recycling and waste minimization, energy efficiency, all of these things collectively fall under this environmental dimension. And there's different regulations within the the United States, both at the federal, state, and local levels that affect those emissions and and for which industries and various utilities, whether they be electric, gas, or water, have to comply.
0: Well, what you just described can be very intimidating, especially to a small or medium-sized company with limited resources. So in the light of the Paris climate talks and assuming that these executives are becoming enlightened, where do they even start to get their arms around this? What should they first do?
1: Well, I'd like to say they should call West Monroe, but they should call. <laughs> uh, they should. Uh, they're, they're going to become enlightened in some respects but through their reading, through their networks that they belong to, their business networks. They will start seeing people talking about this, or getting an understanding of. of of whether they should be proactive and how they should be proactive. In some cases, you look at the low-hanging fruit. Uh, We just happened to have a a customer that we did some business with just recently, a manufacturing firm, and we did an environmental or an energy footprint for them to help them understand where was their energy consumption, their big energy consuming uh, entities on their factory floor, in their transportation network, who were they purchasing their electricity from, and related issues. And what we found for them was they could reduce their energy and energy usage quite a bit and, in fact, identified some opportunities for them. And in doing so, when you reduce your energy usage, you concomitantly reduce the emissions that are associated with producing that energy. So if it's electricity, if your utility is burning coal, to fuel that electricity or produce that electricity, that would be causing emissions of carbon and nitrous oxides and sulfur dioxides as air emissions. If you're using natural gas, you're still emitting some degree of carbon emissions and some NOx, but not so much SO2, for example. So the fuel mix becomes very important. Anyway, we made them aware of that. And in the process identified a number of opportunities for them to reduce their energy use. And they undertook two, two small investments as a result of what we were pointing out to them. And in one case, the payback period for them was 315 days with a small with, to invest in, uh, in an air handler. And for a variable speed drive, they made an investment and found that the return on investment was 22 hours.
0: This was just within a manufacturing operation?
1: One manufacturing operation. Uh, so there is some so-called low-hanging fruit if, if companies look for it. And then once you start looking more closely, you will find other opportunities. So there is a way of, in which you can achieve reductions in energy use, save on your energy bill, and at the same time reduce some some emissions, air emissions, including carbon dioxide, which is a greenhouse gas, as a result of the actions that you take.
0: But it's got to be a top-down initiative, I would imagine. Top executives have to get this message to filter down through the organization. Should they start by kind of tasking one person or one department within the organization to oversee this whole thing? And if so, who should that individual or organization be?
1: Well, you're right that it does It does have to have leadership-driven motivation for this. But that doesn't say that it can't start also from the bottom up. If you have motivated employees who bring forward opportunities for reducing Energy use or reducing waste of any type. We did another assessment of a company for which they had water that was coming out of a hose and running right into a drain, and we and the question was why was that happening? Well, somebody just forgot to turn that water off, and so they were basically paying for water use that was basically going back in the drain and never never being used for any part of the production process Mm -hmm. that it was intended for use. So there's a lot of those kind of things that people on the factory floor or a distribution center in the logistics chain can identify and bring forward to management as an action item. But you're right, you have to have corporate leadership acceptability uh, that these kinds of things can be brought forward. And as you indicated, yes, you do have to assign somebody responsibility to take the actions, to weigh the benefits and costs of these alternatives, and then put them in place.
0: But as you're suggesting, not just top-down, bottom-up. In other words, soliciting those people down in your organization who are on the factory floor, who are on the ground, who might spot things that a top executive wouldn't have any idea was happening.
1: That's absolutely the case. And I firmly believe that many of the real opportunities are going to be identified by people on the ground who see these kinds of low-hanging fruit, or they're going to see process changes or organization changes that will actually save energy, save emissions, Uh, save resource usage that can actually be very positive for the organization. And because they're so much closer to the ground and seeing these things, you have to engage them. And they have to feel like that their ideas, uh, their proposals will be accepted by management.
0: But we have to take into account the supply chain, which involves multiple partners in and outside of the organization. Should these manufacturers clean house first, attend to those things that are happening within their own walls, and then start looking to their partners, or should that be a an effort that's also going on at the same time?
1: Well, I'd like to say that it should go on at the same time. However, you know, sometimes you do have to start with your own house and understand it first in order to be able to then implement it uh, across the supply chain. A company like Walmart has done that. They've been very proactive internally, but they've also now been p- putting some of these practices in place within the supply chain by asking their suppliers to document what actions are they taking. They're also, Walmart and others, that have very large expansive supply chains, are now also offering educational opportunities and actually some financing opportunities to help these companies implement this. Because the problem is smaller companies, mid-tier companies, often don't have the resources, they don't have the complete understanding of how their energy is being used, and they need to understand that in order to be proactive in
0: these areas. Well, as it's often said, you can't fix what you can't measure. And so I'm wondering what is kind of the structure or report card or what type of overarching structure can you create with an organization that measures your emissions all over the place? Is it possible that you can boil that down into something that's easily identifiable and viewable by management, which then allows them to start taking action?
1: Most of your Enterprise asset management, enterprise risk management types of software now actually have bolt-on sustainability modules that can take the data from your various energy or, or resource or procurement functions and import those into the necessary computations to determine what kinds of impact do they have. So, absolutely yes. There's also a number of uh, spreadsheet calculators that have been devised by. You've various firms that can be used if you're a smaller entity and you're just trying to get a handle on your resource usage and the corresponding emissions. Another way of doing it, transportation companies have developed a software, one of which we use called Log EC, our partner in Europe. Point has developed that, which looks at each segment of the transportation or logistics chain and computes how much emissions is associated with each mode of transport and for each parcel that's in that transport you're looking to examine. So there's ways, there's definitely software out there. It depends on your size and the complexity of of your usage uh, to determine which is most appropriate.
0: You talk about low-hanging fruit. Sometimes it's as simple as just turning off a water hose or implementing one small part within a manufacturing organization. But what do you imagine will be companies' toughest challenges in meeting these requirements? There's a lot of energy that
1: is actually embedded within products Uh, or commodities for which a company is procuring that they're not aware of. And so that's really where the challenge is going to be, understanding how much energy and associated carbon is embedded in those products that they are then using as part of their production or manufacturing activity. That's probably going to be the most challenging effort. That and for small firms that really don't keep track of all of these procurement activities and understand how much energy or the consumption of their resources that they're, that they're undertaking in whatever they're producing. So smaller firms are definitely being more challenged. And as I said, embedded energy and carbon in a product is going to be the hardest thing to try to get at. It's being worked on. Larger firms obviously are being very proactive in this area, and the understanding that's being gained by them will help in this process.
0: Well, now we're talking, it seems, about visibility throughout the supply chain, especially a multi-tier supply chain. And even a small manufacturer is going to have multiple tiers going up from which they get their raw materials and and, and components. So how good a job do you think those companies are doing now in viewing what their suppliers are doing up multiple tiers and assuming that they're not doing the best job they could be doing, how could they do a better job?
1: Well, as I indicated, the larger firms who – are looking into their supply chain are starting to drive this. The other thing that's happening as a driver is not only, as I mentioned, uh, you know before, some of the larger firms were, were driven by NGOs, by international requirements and, and the like. Now the mid-tier smaller firms are being driven, interestingly, more by the financial marketplace, and by that I mean you have investors, whether it be family family funds, wealth funds private equity firms who have now signed on to something called the United Nations principles on responsible investment. And they have to monitor their portfolio for how green it is or how sustainable their, their portfolio is. So every time they're looking at an investment or when they look at their portfolio of past investments, they have to evaluate, it, are the companies that they're currently invested in ascribing to some of these sustainability principles? And when they look at a new firm, they'll have to be asking the chief financial officer Whether or not their firm is being proactive in these areas, because if they're not, when they would like to perhaps sell that company or sell the shares in that company in the future, it's going to be a different environment, an environment in which sustainability might have a much higher degree of emphasis. And so the potential value of that firm may be less than what that investor is looking for if it's not qualified as sustainable.
0: So you can't escape responsibility merely by not being a public company. That's with all a, the reporting requirements that go along with that.
1: That's exactly the case. Yeah, so, so, yeah. so, so companies now, when they're being talked to by their financial advisors about a lot of potential investment, or if they're going to go to a bank in order to get working capital, they are going to be asked these questions because each of these financial entities sees sustainability now, including under the COP twenty one framework, as an additional risk element to the return or the available capital that might be there to pay back that loan or to provide the return on investment that that company was looking
0: for. Now, aviation and shipping left out of COP21. Am I correct in saying that?
1: At the moment, they they have been left out, but there's other activities underway to incorporate them more proactively in there. That's
0: correct. So I'm just wondering, in the short term, might that serve as a disincentive for executives to move forward on lowering emissions in that area, since nobody you know, among the Paris Climate Agreement parties are paying attention to that aspect, at least at this point?
1: Well, interestingly, even though the COP21 didn't incorporate that explicitly within sustainability profiles and within the Global Reporting Initiative, which is the, the international protocol for companies to report on their sustainability metrics, transportation logistics is a very large element and one that's captured in your second tier of activities that you need to undertake.
0: So that means you've got to be at some point, even with this not being part of the Paris Climate Agreement, As a manufacturer, you've got to get together and collaborate with your carrier. Does that mean to the point of actually making that one of the criteria for choosing a carrier uh, to the extent to which that carrier is, quote-unquote, green?
1: It definitely will help. And as West Monroe did last year in a survey, we found that a large number of people would either be willing to accept another day in the delivery cycle or be able to pay up to 5% more if
0: they knew that their transportation mode was considered green. Ships, uh, the big container ships, are already slowing down. So I don't know if you could uh, get much slower than they already are with slow speeding, which from their, yeah. from their aspect was to save money on fuel. I don't know how responsible they were in a larger sense doing that. That's um, right. That's
1: exactly right. Yeah. Well, But that, all of these things start pie- piecing themselves together. I mean, as you mm-hmm. just indicated, I mean, they, they wanted to save money, so they slowed themselves down to be more efficient. They also had to go with more electric energy use when they were in port as opposed to burning bunker fuel, again, not because of carbon emissions, but because of local air pollution requirements that caused that activity to be undertaken within, within the ports because of local air requirements.
0: Do you have any idea why aviation shipping did manage to pull itself out of the climate agreement?
1: I think there was just so much in a bit the lack of an ability to to parse out who was actually responsible. Is it the or where the plane or ship was originating from, and that's the source of the emissions, or where it's landing? Because that's it's really where uh, a plane or ship originates, where most of the emissions occur. When it's in between, it's at a cruising speed. I believe that's probably where some of it's—it's it's a source attribution issue that I think really drove their exclusion from the, for the time being. But I wasn't there, unfortunately, so I can't in party of, of those discussions, so I can't really say for sure what what the primary reason for it was.
0: One of the three pillars that you mentioned earlier was social, not necessarily covered by COP21, but what should companies be doing in that area?
1: Well, social covers a number of different dimensions, including wage rates, uh, working conditions, labor laws providing good uh, health care for for its workers, uh, various things like that. Those are things that are being undertaken by companies now, especially international companies, because there's been so much emphasis on poor working conditions that have arisen in the countries that are still emerging and for which they have had low wage rates and maybe some lack of attention to the conditions under which the workers exist. But that emphasis, there's been a great deal more emphasis placed on that in the past because of things that have happened with Nike and, and, and other companies, uh, even Apple, in countries, uh, particularly in Asia. Uh, so there's more emphasis on that. that. That emphasis is also now shipping here starting to occur here where people, not as much with some of the wage rate issues, but but some of those conditions exist even within U.S. companies. And so there's greater attention being paid to that.
0: Now, as far as I know, COP21 has no enforcement mechanism. If the member countries that signed up to it go back to their legislatures and fail to meet the standards that were set out by the Paris Climate Agreement, there's no punishment per se. I'm wondering if that causes businesses to kind of say, well, what the heck, you know, there's no teeth. Uh, What if I do nothing? Uh, What would your your argument be to a business that says, uh, you know, what if I just sit this one out?
1: Two things there. One is there is no penalty per se or or hammer that's going to come down on any one country. However, each country itself has to put in place rules and regulations that its industries have to comply with. To the extent that those countries don't implement those rules and regulations, there may be a competitive disadvantage going forward when they start competing on international grounds for within various industry verticals. So that's one thing that's going to happen. The other thing really here is that this, this is a trend that is going to continue to pick up some momentum. And as I indicated to you before, many of these activities that these companies could undertake are not that costly or costly at all in some cases. And so being more attentive to your supply chain and the energy use and resource use associated with it is actually very smart business. The world doesn't have an unlimited supply of a lot of the resources that we're consuming, including clean air and, in the case of carbon, having this, uh, the greenhouse effect. And so we have to be more attentive to these things. And unfortunately, someone, some countries have to be more of a leader and hope that the other ones will eventually follow, be proactive. Some of those countries that have not been engaged so far have done so in large part because they're saying, wait a minute, you know, why should we have to not benefit from industrialization, be able to be benefit from industrialization, and instead pay a cost of doing so because other countries have, have caused this so-called greenhouse gas problem. Very, very true statement. However, we're at a point right now where we may be over overrunning our headlights and causing a major problem and we have to be aware of how that's going to affect
0: all countries, all industries, all people. Well, we can only hope that the next time West Monroe Partners gets around to doing another study, the number is a little bit more positive in the light of agreement in Paris. But in the meantime, David South of West Monroe, I want to thank you so much for clarifying some of the steps that companies can take in reaction to that agreement and what they should be doing going forward. Thanks so much for being with us.
1: I appreciate the opportunity.
0: That was my conversation with David South of West Monroe Partners, talking about how manufacturers can cut greenhouse gas emissions and meet the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all other other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain.